0: Welcome Welcome to to Growing a B2B SaaS. On this show, you'll get actionable and usable advice. You'll hear about all aspects of growing a business to a business software company. Customer success, sales, funding, bootstrapping, exits, scaling, everything you need to know about growing a startup, and you'll get it from someone who's going through the same journey. Now
1: your host,
0: Yoron Hoffman.
1: Welcome back to the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast, where we discuss all topics on how to grow your B2B SaaS, no matter in which stage you're in. Not having enough money for your SaaS is really common as you often need money to scale, right? So how do you get capital while still being bootstrapped? So not giving up equity. We're going to discuss this and other bootstrap challenges with Nathan Latka. He's the founder of FounderPath, a platform dedicated to helping SaaS companies grow without giving up equity. So far, they deployed capital to over 200 Bootstrap founders out of their 150 million fund. Over 30,000 software founders bought his Wall Street Journal bestselling book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. And he's the host of the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast with over 20 million downloads, where he has interviewed 3,000 SaaS founders so far. So he's got a lot to share. Let's just dive right in. Welcome to the show, Nathan.
2: Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it.
1: No worries. I'm going to always ask a really Dutch, blunt question to begin with. Why should people listen to you today?
2: Generally, because I'll share data that they haven't maybe heard of before. I'll talk from experience. I would also say that's my bias, right? I had a software company that I bootstrapped to a million run rate. I went through a certain experience that biases me one way. So I'll share a lot of good data here. But again, the bias will be it's all tied directly to real experiences that I've had.
1: I really love the the data approach you, you take, even with just a, a quick chat before the podcast, uh, putting the numbers in, in place. Before we really start talking about numbers, can you quickly explain what are the different financing options a SaaS company would have?
2: Yeah, so early stage software companies, you're typically, if you need capital, you're going to go raise on a convertible note or a safe, right? So that is really a debt instrument that ultimately translates to equity once you do have a real valuation on the business once you get past that stage, maybe you're hitting 500K or a million dollars of revenue. At that point, you can start to look at non-dilutive options like founder pass, right? So that's receivables based financing. All that means is if you have a million of revenue, we'll buy 200, 300 grand of your future receivables. So that's non-dilutive capital, right? And then you pay that back over 12 to 48 months. At that stage, obviously, you can also keep to series A, series B, series C, et cetera. So I think safes, convertible notes, there's a lot of non-dilutive options now today. Those are the major ways to fund the business. But the best of all, is obviously customer profits. Customers paying you and you making a lot of profits.
1: Exactly. And I mean, that's what keeps coming back. If you build a good product, people are going to pay for it. And then in your case, like actually fund your company based on that. You mentioned the terms diluted funding versus non dilutive funding. Can you quickly explain what is the difference for the people who don't know yet?
2: Yeah, most folks, especially with equity markets here, late 2023 being compressed, if you're doing a seed round, you're raising something like 500k, and you're selling 20 to 25% of your company, besides your co-founder, that first round is the most equity you'll ever give up. It's the second biggest moment in your company in terms of preserving your equity. And so that's a lot of dilution. What I encourage founders to think about, you're eventually gonna sell that company for four, five, six, 10, 60, $500 million. And every point of equity you own will drastically change your lifestyle, your net worth, your family's lifestyle, et cetera. And so you want to preserve that as much as possible. And so non-dilutive funding is when you don't give up equity. What you do instead is you're effectively trading your future cash flows from customer contracts. You're trading that for upfront cash from FounderPath today.
1: And I think you made it even your mission to help SaaS founders to get non-dilutive funding. Like, why do you care so much? Why do you made it your mission?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. So when I was 19 at Virginia Tech studying Architecture, I built my first SaaS company called Heyo, H-E-Y-O.com. Still live today because the group I sold it to is, still makes money from it, but bootstrapped it. And then I raised $2 million drawn on an 8.5 pre-million valuation, so 10.5 post. I sold 18, 19% of my company in that round. And additionally, they made me hire a professional. They called them the adult supervision CEO because I was so young and in college. This was such a, a terrible thing. It made me feel like crap, but I did it. That's another 10% gone. So by the time all was said and done, I only owned 38% of the company after that round. And I had great investors participating in that round. David Cohen from Techstars, for example. A lot of great people. But the board... Three, six months after I did the this round, the Series A round, I got a six point five million all cash acquisition offer for my contact. Now, you guys listening, think about it for a second. I just raised at a ten point five post. I just got an all cash offer for six point five. Does the board approve that or not? no right because it's less than what they just put money in at the valuation. So I started going man why do people raise VC you lose so much of your optionality and if I said yes to 6.5 million I was 20 years old I would have had it's like two million dollars in my bank post tax I love that yeah. So you're, you're drawn that's why I got I said man I need to figure out another option for founders and I'm also just betting on the fact that globally it's easier to build a software company today with these no code tools. This is the future American dream right is like our worldwide dream really. million profitable bootstrapped company. Keep 100%. Pay yourself a million dollars a year. That's a beautiful life. That's what we're trying to do. Help founders do that thousands of times.
1: Yeah, it, it's a great mission. Like uh, we're bootstrapped ourselves, uh, still until this moment. We actually use founder just to get insights into our metrics, which I would definitely recommend others to do as well. So even though if you don't. Oh, I
2: think your metrics dashboard is much better than ours just to call a spade, but I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> for for bootstrappers out there, what kind of other options uh, are there for them to really fund their business? Any strategies you can share?
2: Obviously, again, customer profits is if you're going to bootstrap, right? So so no outside capital or giving up no equity, you're going to use obviously profits, right? Customer sales. Non-dilutive capital is a good option. I have seen founders using convertible note, but then don't convert it. Right. So most people convertible note typical terms is it's a 20% discount. So if someone gives you a million bucks, they're going to say, I want a 20% discount to the next round when it does convert, then they're going to maybe charge a six to 8% interest rate. So if you get a million today, and then you wait two years before you convert them, maybe that million because the six to 8% rate, maybe that million now is like 1.1 million or something. Most founders, they want to convert that. But if you've generated profits, you can also just pay it off and keep all that equity. So it doesn't convert. That's another way to fund it without it. But you want to be really upfront with the angels or whoever you're raising that from and tell them you might just pay it off because their intention is to back you and eventually convert to equity
1: yeah exactly like you you spoke to many SaaS founders right on the podcast but probably also a lot outside of the podcast you had your own story where you might have done things differently what you know right now what are the most common mistakes companies make while trying to fund their their
2: business I think a lot of the media tech crunch is guilty of this. They sell the story that if you're going to make it as a founder, it's actually how much you raise and how big the valuation is. And that actually has nothing to do with building a great company, right? Building a great company is go get a customer first and then go figure out if you want to raise capital. I've seen founders spend a year trying to perfect their deck. To go sell investors, they could have spent that time building a no code MVP and landing their first 10 customers, right? So that's what I would say. And if you're listening right now and you want to have a software company one day, but you don't know where to start, best place to start is actually to do what you're doing, Joran, is build an audience first, right? Because if you have 10,000 people listening to your podcast every month, and then eventually you come up with a software tool and all your listeners are software founders, and you convert 1% of your audience to a $100 a month plan, well, boom, right? There's your first 10 grand a month in revenue.
1: Exactly. The begin point you mentioned is not just tech crunch; it's crunch base. But also, when going to SaaS events, I think often the second question you get is, "Oh, how much funding did you raise?" Or, "Are you seeing how big A, is your PNC? team?" Exactly. Yeah. And I, yeah. And in the end, maybe the question should be uh, for everybody going to SaaS talk: like, "How's your profitability?" Or, "What is your growth rate?" Or, or these
2: numbers like that?" The smartest, happiest most successful software founders I meet are the ones that do the most with the least. They're very efficient and they have great systems. And so a a good way to capture that insight in form of a question is to say, what's your revenue per employee? Anyone generating more than 250 or 300k of revenue per employee in our space, that's impressive. Most VC-backed SaaS companies generate about $90,000 of revenue per employee. And most bootstrappers are somewhere in the 150,000 revenue per employee range. So anything above that, I'm always really impressed by.
1: When well, we talk about non-dilutive funding, you mentioned like you're going to fund based on the money you're going to get from your clients right in the future. Like what has to be in place in order to able to even get like uh, non-dilutive funding?
2: So most providers of non-dilutive capital, they have to see some predictability and history in your cash flows to be able to model what your future cash flows could look like. And so you usually need a minimum of something like twenty dollars or $30,000 a month of MRR and at least 6 to 12 months in business. That would be the earliest stage I would tell people to look at non-dilutive funding.
1: And like I, I, I know your tool, of, thought, of course, based on like your numbers, right? You would also get an interest rate. So the better the growth rate, the better the LTV, the better the terms as well. Is that correct?
2: Slightly. So my podcast, The Top Entrepreneurs, probably in 2018. Founders, after I stopped recording now, when I hit stop. They would always then tell me something that was amazing that they didn't share live because they didn't feel comfortable. And they would say things like, if the VC just pulled a term sheet on me, we need money. Can you help us go raise debt, Nathan? And I kept hearing debt. So what I did is I went and I signed retainers with all the big debt providers, Lighter Capital, Tamaya, Espresso, et cetera, Lighter Capital mainly. And I matched them with founders. And I watched founders then pay back lighter capital than these other providers, which are MCAs, that's Merchant Cash Advance, or Factoring, etc. cetera. And what I saw is in a lot of those negotiations, the paperwork to do those deals, the term sheet is 10 pages long, and the closing docs are 40 pages long. You're gonna spend a minimum of a month to two months negotiating that. And you're gonna spend a minimum of 20K on your own legal fees. And then also have to cover the other party's legal fees, which are usually five to 10K. So when FounderProp developed our paper, right, the paper we sit on, the contract we sit on, we wanted simplicity. So we don't charge an interest rate. What we do, it's called a receivables purchase agreement, right? Or Mm -hmm. we're purchasing your customer contracts. We call those receivables. And we're purchasing them at a discount rate. So we charge a discount rate, not an interest rate. And they're very different. Happy to go deeper there if it's useful.
1: Yeah, I think if you can go a little bit deeper, I don't know how many people will understand it. But I guess like you're basically, you're funding based on, on the future income, right? Like how, based on discount, a little bit more explanation would be nice. So let, let's assume I want to get capital in right now. How
2: would that work? Let's use a simple example. Let's say you guys are listening right now, anyone in the audience, let's say that you charge on average $84 a month. For your software product right which would be a thousand dollars for a year right founder Path would look at that thousand dollars for the year and say joran you're a great software company you have high net dollar retention of 110 percent your gross logo churn annually is only five percent you've got four months of runway in the bank you have very little customer concentration risk we are willing to pay you a 10 discount rate for that thousand dollar customer right? Who's going to pay you $1,000 over a year. So then you take $1,000 times that 10% discount rate. So we would then wire you, Joran, if you accept the offer, we would wire you $900 of cash today. That's a 10% discount from 1,000. And then you collect the 1,000 over the year and then send it to Founder Path to buy back that customer contract that's how it all works
1: makes sense then it also makes sense you need to have a minimum MR you need to have the numbers in place to actually go from there
2: I get people sometimes come to me that are pre-revenue and say hey can we use non-dilutive capital I'm like, no because you have no revenue you have no customer contracts for us to buy
1: yeah it makes sense and I guess like when all the numbers are in place I think on the website you say money within 24 hours
2: yes we've done million dollar two million dollar deals in under 24 hours before
1: yeah and it's purely because it's data driven you connect with the tools so you you can see exactly what's going on. Nice.
2: The nice thing about our platform is it is purely numbers driven. You don't have to get on a phone with me and show me how good of a salesperson you are. You don't have to tell me what your family history is. And if you have entrepreneurs in your family, you don't have to tell me if you went to Harvard or Stanford. We are just looking at your numbers. It's pure algorithm based. You get a deal, you click accept, you get the money. It's really unbiased, which is nice.
1: When we zoom out again, like you interviewed so many bootstrappers or so many SaaS founders, I guess, what have these successful bootstrappers have in common? What have you seen so far?
2: most successful bootstrappers are extremely sure of themselves. They're happy personally, so they don't seek validation from equity markets. I talk to a lot of founders that they want to go raise VC to make them feel like confirmed. Okay, this is a real business. Somebody else told me it's a real business because they gave me a million dollars. Great, but now you're working for them. Right now, you only own 40, 30% of your company. Right after a couple of years of that. So, again, the bootstrappers I see, they have a lot of conviction. They're not rude or they're not standoffish. They just have a lot of conviction in how they understand their customers and they have a lot of confidence to go build that. And so, I appreciate that about a lot of the bootstrappers that I work with. By the way, I always say this this is a massive silent majority, Joran. I mean, for every one founder we read about who raises on TechCrunch. There's a yeah. thousand bootstrappers you've never heard of
1: and i think that's the point as you mentioned like people want to be included if you're not raising you're not on crunch base you're not have the article on, on TechCrunch. you won't have a pr newsletter going out a vc promoting you things like that i haven't been lured into it yet but it is something you will hear a lot and i think it's a
2: big challenge venture capital dollars are the best marketed money in the world. I've never seen anything like it. Let's Please take my dollar and then I'm going to own your business. Now, I will also say this. I don't want to just poo on VC all day long. If you've maybe had your first exit for a couple million bucks and you're like, you know what? I'm 40, I'm 45, I'm 51. I want to go take a really big swing and it's going to require a lot of money and I want to go public or bust and I want that pressure and I want a board and I want that risk. Okay, fine. Go to the VC thing, but just understand the odds. One in a thousand in terms of VC investments, go and make a billion, two billion, three billion dollars and return the fund. You're just playing a lower odds game the second you raise a dollar of outside capital. What FounderPad is trying to do is increase the odds. Drastically, that you're sitting on a five or ten million dollar company with a lot of profits that you can have for life and build a great sort of living situation around. But they're just two different strategies.
0: Growing a B two B SaaS is tough. We know this is why we started Redditus. We help you to grow your monthly recurring revenue without high upfront costs. How? by leveraging someone else's network and only giving away a commission when they deliver you a paid client. It's called affiliate marketing. It's already a really cost-effective and scalable revenue channel. We even made it better for you. With Reditus, you can start for free and only start paying us when you generate revenue. Learn more at www.getreditus.com.
1: And when we talk about successful bootstrappers like, and best practices what have they been doing i know you love numbers so i'm just gonna ask what do they have in common number wise what are they doing really well that they're being so successful
2: okay number one thing is they have customer acquisition cost arbitrage let me give you an example nathan barry with convertkit competes in the email marketing space right the email list building space he could either spend a lot of money on Google ads to win the number one spot for the search term, email marketing tool, which is expensive, probably five, six, seven, eight bucks a click, right? That's one strategy. But no, what he did instead is he used his brain, his creativity to save money and win. What he does now is he hires local photographers off Thumbtack to take pictures of his customers. He then gives those free high res images, right? To his customers, they use it on their websites. they backlink to ConvertKit right? He uses those images on his website promotional materials, and he's bought his domain authority up on ConvertKit drastically from all the backlinks from that photo strategy. A VC-backed founder, very rarely, once you raise so much money, it's very hard to think creatively because your answer to everything is throw money at it.
1: Yeah. And I think you get more creative in the, you don't have a lot of budget to, to spend. Like we don't run paid ads, but if we would run paid ads, we would only run them when there's a certain event on Facebook, for example, and we target the exact building, for example, where the event is being located in. We just maybe spend like a hundred dollars, but on a really specific target audience.
2: Yeah. Like CAC arbitrage advantage gained by using extreme creativity. If I just sum up the best bootstrappers that I ever interviewed in terms of revenue, profits, growth, all that it's that sentence.
1: As a bootstrap founder, you're, like, you're going to run into a lot of challenges. What would you say are the biggest ones and like any advice for people listening to overcome those?
2: Most bootstrappers, if you're listening right now and you're under 25, the biggest thing that you're going to have to push back against are actually your parents going, please get a regular job. I don't know what the hell you're doing, but is this company going to work? And what you're going to say is, I need to go raise VC to show mom and dad at Christmas. I raised a million bucks and that's going to get them off my back. That's the hardest thing. Dynamic in the early days, right? Bootstrappers, once they really start to scale. So, once you're at more than 5 million of revenue or 10 million of revenue, I think one of the biggest risks, see, I guess let me just take a step back. Risk is really hard to quantify here because every bootstrapper is bootstrapping for a different reason, right? Someone is doing it because they hate working for other people and they love the lifestyle. Somebody else might be doing it to grow and then sell it and keep 100% of the upside. So, different risks are associated with like different strategies, for example. So, let me give you a strategy and then tell you the risk associated with it. If you're building a company and you're bootstrapping and you want to sell it one day and have no board and have full control and keep 90%, 100% for yourself and your employees, the biggest risk to you is that you will keep holding out for a larger and larger offer instead of just creating a quick win, which then compounds over time. The ability to be able to say you sold a company drastically increases your optionality for whatever you do next. And it's very hard to quantify that optionality. So most people just keep waiting. Oh, you're only going to pay me a 4X. I'm going to wait for a buyer that's going to pay a 6X. And then you slog for three more years, and then you finally get like a 5.3 X offer. And you're like, "Oh, I should have took the 4X two years ago and gotten some time back. So that's the biggest risk. That
1: makes sense. You already mentioned like 5.3 X. And we're gonna talk about multipliers. The topic is how to sell your SaaS for a 10x multiplier. Can you already share some quick insights here?
2: Yeah, we're having so much fun. Anyone listening, you can uh, go look on LinkedIn, just search my name and the word like "bootstrapper" or SaaS event. We do this once a month live, it'll be a thousand founders live. It's a ton of fun. And one of the questions, Joran, the way we come up with these titles is we asked the past webinar last month what they're curious about. And this was the number one thing from last month. And so what we did, since FounderPath has seen a lot of founders use us for capital, then go exit, you start to recognize there's a playbook. What I've seen is the playbook is actually not common sense. So what I mean by that is most people, when they want to sell their SaaS company, their first question is, what are multiples today? If the only thing that determined your outcome as a founder in terms of your exit value, is what our multiples today? None of that gives you credit for you being. You're just defaulting to what the market multiple is today. Why would you ever do that? Right? Sure, it's a guidepost but why would you ever do that? It's silly. And so what we're teaching, there's a very specific process that you should follow and a very specific data room structure and very specific copy you should use with potential buyers as you move them from indicative bullet point terms in an email to a real term sheet and the term sheet you pick to sign. How do you hold leverage so that as you go through DD and the closing docs to make sure it actually closes and you get the cash and ideally as much cash up front. None of this earn out over a hundred years BS you know what i mean so we're teaching that process live with real examples the example that we'll focus on is david from grasshopper who sold from 100 for 165 million cash that's what we'll be focusing on
1: yeah and you and you are recording the sessions right so people can listen to them later on
2: we do, but you guys are busy listening. So if you're not able to make it later tonight, I'll just give you one quick takeaway. This is something all of you guys should be doing over as you're building your company. You're just going to get natural inbound from people saying, would you sell? Now, many of you would just ignore it. You might not even return the email. I would really encourage you to start replying with copy that sounds something like this. We're not looking at selling right now. There's a lot of upside. I just started growing this thing. However, I have a monthly update email I send to people I want to keep close to the business. Can I add you to that send? So what you do is you then start building this list over two, three, four, five years of all these people that have reached out inquiring about buying. You then keep them close, right? They're always thinking about you because you're getting a monthly or quarterly update. So then when you want to sell, you email and you say, we got inbound requests. We're officially launching our process. In order for you to get access to data room one, you must provide indicative terms no later than October 30th. These are non-binding bullet points via email. Boom. Now you have top of funnel and you've created a competition. And that's key in selling your business for the highest multiple.
1: Yeah, you're basically building your own target audience. And what would you recommend people sending on 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 that newsletter, because you mentioned data room. So you're not going to probably give them all the data points regarding on the monthly level, what would you recommend sending in the newsletter?
2: Hey, folks, last month was great or not. Here are three things that went well, here are three things that we're working on, right. So we landed this big customer, I recruited this major salesperson. we're excited about. Um, and month over month revenue growth was 10% month over month, the three things we're trying to work on. We're spending too much to get customers. Say we're trying to drive CAC down under hundred dollars. Are we're having problems hiring engineers in the U.S. because they're too expensive? We're spinning up our outsourced dev- development agency, right? In the number three, right? So it's just very simple, like a three-three yeah. is what I call it. It's just an excuse to stay top of mind.
1: Yeah. And building owning your own list is, of course, like really important, as you mentioned, like you're basically just putting them on the list. Like I just replied so far. We're not interested. But I guess like this is a much, much better approach.
2: Yeah, because let's say you do want to sell in three years. You're going to search your inbox and go try and remember all those people that reached out over the past four or five years. You might as well start tagging them today, putting them in a Google contact list. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense when we look
1: at the the future, how do
2: you see the future of of SaaS financing? I guess, first off, I think there's a lot of people in my space that are in it for the wrong reasons. There's ex-VCs that now do non-dilutive capital or they're ex-Stanford Harbor guys doing this because they want to be a banker. They want to own a bank, whatever. They want to play the fintech game. So instead of the future of SaaS financing, let me just say what I think the future of SaaS is and then how FounderPath hopes to help those founders. I don't think actually this monthly flat fee SaaS model we all know today is ac- that's actually not the future in my opinion. We are going to have a 100% transactional model. So one customer is not going to pay 83 bucks a month every month. There you're going to charge off some usage metric, and it's going to be variable. One month a month be 50, the next month it might be 100, then back down to 25, then up to whatever. And so you have to, be able to project this transactional or this usage based SaaS fee, and so. I think that's the future. And the way FounderPath is going to help finance that is we will use your historical usage-based revenue per customer to predict what new customers would pay into the future. And we'll buy those contracts just like we're doing today.
1: Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense because a lot of SaaS companies are going already PLG. That's the, the, the hot term right now. And then people are trying to base their pricing based on usage, but still keeping it to the plans. Like even ourselves, we have certain plans. If you're have a certain threshold, then you're going to go to the next plan. But it would make sense to start really charging on, on usage, but then churn will go up as well, or at least like it will be more volatile,
2: I guess, to call it like that. It, it puts the pressure on the founder to build a better product, which is the right place for pressure to exist. Right now, you've probably done this. I've certainly done it with GitLatka. How many of us have gone into Stripe, exported our customer list, and sorted from who's paying the most to the least? And you start going name by name, you're going, oh my gosh. That person hasn't logged on in three months. They're still paying me hundred bucks a month. And then we go, crap, do we email them and try to re-engage them? No, no, because then they'll know they're paying us and then they'll cancel. That's what we all tell her, right? They're us That thing is we, we should all lean into that. Right. And and like the pricing model that solves that is they're paying just per usage. You should never feel good about, oh, they forgot they're paying us. Let's keep that MRR sort of thing. You want to lean into that problem.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. Luckily, I was head of customer success before I started my own startup. So we are doing value-based pricing. So at least they have a certain MRR and they always pay us like, I don't know, 100 times less. So they will always get this certain value. But I see this a lot with other SaaS Mm -hmm. companies. Cool. We're going to come a bit to the end where we're going to ask advice per stage. So when we talk about bootstrapping and, and funding your SaaS, what kind of advice would you have somebody to begin with who's at zero or who's starting out and growing his stars to 10k monthly
2: recurring revenue, any him or her, whoever start with audience. Don't think about software, build an audience first, it's going to make the software launch way cheaper, way faster, way easier.
1: And I guess you already mentioned the podcast here is is one example. Any other great examples you can give
2: here LinkedIn content, email newsletter, podcast, YouTube channel, Twitter group, Facebook group, LinkedIn group, write a book, publish a magazine, There's tons of examples here. Exactly. And
1: it all starts with, you have to know, of course, who is going to be your ideal customer profile. So who are you actually going to target and then build your audience in there? But like building an audience for me personally has already been
2: really nice. You're doing a great job.
1: Thank you. If we go one step uh, further, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's growing past 10K MRR towards 10 million ARR?
2: If you're at 10,000 of MRR and you're trying to decode how to get to 10 million of revenue, download your customer base, it's paying 10 grand, right makes up 10 grand of MRR sort from who's paying the most to the least, and go figure out just only focus on the customer paying you the most money. And go think about how do you change all of your top of funnel strategy to just go get more of that highest paying customer. That's the fastest way to decode how to go from 10k in MRR to 10 million of ARR.
1: Yeah, and then especially with the thing you have in mind, make sure that it's it's cost effective. So you keep your customer acquisition cost low, even or trying to get more of those
2: the best way to grow mrr is to sell the same product to richer people
1: that's a good one i don't know if it's going to fit with the future of SaaS, but that's it that is a nice one.
2: Oh no it's like uh if it's a future of SaaS is usage based pricing and let's say the usage is i'm making this up number of rows of code ingested to your database per month someone that has a way bigger SaaS company is probably willing to pay more per row of ingested data because they sell more to their customers right? than someone who's pre-revenue. So the same still applies. Same Sell the same product on a usage basis to richer people.
1: Yeah, nice. We're, we're really coming to the end. I guess any advice or encouragement uh, to SaaS founders who are uh, now on their bootstrapping journey?
2: My biggest mistake when I was building hayo.com from when I was 19 years old to 25 years old is I held out too long, thinking next month's gross would be higher. I'll get a higher acquisition offer next month. And then you you blink and you're 25 years old, or maybe you launched at 30 and you blink and you're 35, or you're launched at 40, you blink, you're 45. It's much more important to get a win and compound wins. You don't realize the amount of optionality you create by just being able to say you sold a software company. It doesn't matter if you sold it for 0.5x ARR. Just get it done. Go through the motion. And that creates so much optionality for you, Joran. That would be, that's my biggest advice because that's my biggest mistake.
1: Okay, nice. Yeah, having that exit is going to learn you a lot for future Yeah, nice. I'm not going to sell right now, but this is good advice. The final question, what is one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago?
2: The one thing I wish I knew 10 years ago is the importance of compounding time, right? So, or just compounding in general. So we just give the example of getting a win under your belt with an exit. What I would also say is I also look at this from just humans I spend my time with. If there's two people that are very talented and one of them is 50 years old and one of them is 16 years old, I much prefer to spend the time with a 16 year old because they have 90 years to compound a relationship with them. So I'm constantly thinking about how do I surround myself with very young people who are very talented because they have the longest amount of time if we hit it off, that we can compound our relationship with. And so I'm constantly thinking about compounding wins and compounding people who are talented, because that's what's going to lead to a lot of success long term, for me at least.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. We're going to link to the webinar. We're going to, I think we agreed to to add a screenshot to the cap table of Founder Path. If people want to get in contact with you, we're going to add ways to do so via LinkedIn. But what is the best way? Is that the best way to get in contact with you?
2: Yeah, the best way to reach me, if you're doing a million dollars of revenue, you're looking for $300,000 to fund the business but still keep your equity shoot me an email nathan at founderpath.com and just put joran's first name in the subject line say joran podcast and then i'll reply to you immediately i'll treat you guys extra special
1: nice nice so if i need you i'm gonna i'm gonna use that tactic now (laughs) cheers thank you for coming on nathan it was uh it was my pleasure
2: thanks for having me joran
0: You've been listening to growing a B2B SaaS. Yoran has been ahead of customer success before founding his own startup. He's experiencing the same journey you are. We hope you've gotten some actionable advice from the show and we hope you had fun along the way. We know we did. Make sure to like, rate, and review the podcast in the meantime. To find out more and to hook up with us on our social media sites, go to www.getredditus.com. See you next time on Growing a B2B SaaS.